Welcome to Life-Altering Events with Frank Sakari. When something positive or negative changes in our lives, we are basically at a fork in the road. Where does the next step take us? What do we do as reactions to something that has already happened? How do we prevent the negative aspects from happening again? Whether in business or personal parts of your life, you can get back on track. We'll talk about it today. Now, here is your host, Frank Zakari. Good morning. This is our 11th show of 2020, and the response in the, in the viewership, listenership has just been tremendous. I appreciate your support, so please keep listening and tell all your friends. Now, my name is Frank Sakari, and you're listening to Life Altering Events on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Now, we started this show six months ago, and every week I get asked the same question. Frank, what exactly is a life-altering event? And this is what I say every week. A life-altering event is something we either choose or something that's thrust upon us that dramatically alters the trajectory of our life. What life-altering events present us with are opportunities to seize the moment and make a difference in our life and the life of our loved ones. They're also a fork in the road, and we have a choice. Now, we can choose to fall apart, or we can choose to pick up the pieces, deal with our grief, and start moving forward. As we move forward, better times and better people will come into your life. And always remember this, it is never too late to have the life that you want and you deserve. Now, as you listen to the show over the coming weeks and months, and I hope over the next several years, I urge you to think about participating in an upcoming episode. If you have a life-altering event that could inspire others, visit the life-altering event page at voiceamerica.com, click on email the host, and tell me about this event that so drastically altered your life. What happened, how you addressed it, the impact it's had, and where you are now. We will review your story for content, and if it fits well into the program, we'll contact you about using it in a future broadcast. Now, as of today, we have over 26,000 listeners in 22 countries. So let me help you share your story with the world. Today, ladies and gentlemen, our Life Altering event is based on Don't Believe Me, Just Watch. If that line sounds familiar to you, it should. Grammy Award winner Bruno Mars used that line in his song, Uptown Funk. Don't believe me, just watch. Now, this line makes me think of all the people who've been counted out, who've been disregarded or marginalized because they didn't follow the established set of rules. Now, they've been called a number of different names. They've been called strange or odd or different, or maybe they're a little bit off. A kinder statement is they're called a free spirit. Well, many of these free spirits create their own path, they dance to their own music, they trust and follow their own sets of belief. They're confident, but not arrogant in their abilities. They're risk takers, but they're not reckless. They see a problem, or as many free spirits call it, an opportunity. They study and research why there is an issue with the current method. They collaborate with other like-minded people to determine if and how a different approach will improve a situation. And then most importantly, most importantly, they take action. Now these free spirits are entrepreneurs, or the new term that I've been reading I like better is they are designers in the truest sense of the word. 
They're not afraid of failure. In fact, they view what most of us would call failure as being one step closer to success. They start a project, they test, they challenge the progress, they make adjustments, and they keep moving forward. The thing I love about these people is they don't worry about perfection because perfection never happens. What they do instead is they focus on continuous improvement. Now this is very different to many, corp to many major corporations and established organizations is that they don't milk their solution. Now why is this important? Now I've worked with a number of organizations and once they have some initial success, they get lazy. They try to focus their attention on attacking their competitor or hyping themselves with some marketing or branding propaganda. They try to milk as much as they can before they start improvement on their product. Our free-spirited designers, they continue to make their product or solution better to the point where there is no other viable alternative. Now these are the people, ladies and gentlemen, who make a major impact in the world or in their industry. You know who I'm talking about. In fact, I might very well be talking about you. Today my guest is Aster West, and she is one of those people. She's a pioneer of the modern web with nearly 20 years experience developing the best-in-class digital technologies from the ground up to drive growth and profit. One friend described Aster this way, she has ideas like other people breathe. The difference is she actually executes. So Aster West, welcome to Life Altering Events. Thank you, I'm glad to be here. Aster, when we have met and we've talked several times, one of the stories or one of the things you have said to me is growing up you sort of deemed yourself you, as, as a self-defined wild child. <laughs> you said you were a risk taker but you weren't reckless. Share some of the adventures that we can say in, you know, public, publicly <laughs> with our listeners and what did you learn from this type of an attitude? I think the biggest thing that I learned is um, if it doesn't kill you, probably keep going after it. And even if it does, you're never gonna know unless you actually try. I think there's many situations that I've been in where I probably shouldn't be sitting across from you today. They were just insanely stupid. Obviously at the time, you, when you're younger, you put a little bit of thought into what you're doing, but um, we think we're invincible. We think we're never gonna die. And then we hit middle age and we look back and we decide maybe we just didn't go big enough and I think that it's, it's sometimes it's, it's odd for people. I, had, uh, I was sitting across from a potential investor the other day, and uh, he asked me, you know, what were you like as a kid? And um, he's like, I bet you were pretty nerdy. I own a software company, you know, and people expect you to be the kid that was in the basement who was um, playing Dungeons and Dragons or some, some dark place. Mm -hmm. away from everyone else but I, that could not be further from the truth for me you know I was out there doing things building things wrestling up people you know just just having a lot of fun with life in fact I've had an incredibly good time mm -hmm. in life and I looked at him and I said no actually I was kind of wild and he got the strangest look on his face, and I'm not sure if that was like the perfect answer for him. I think when you're talking to an investor, he wants to hear about, you know, how you were, you know, hitting the books and, 
you know, studying and, you know, building software applications in your basement from the age of 10. And, you know, I wasn't doing that. I was out racing cars and going to L.A. to book punk bands and... (laughs) (laughs) And <laughs> talking the restaurant, you know, down the down the shore to um, to to book some rockabilly bands so we could do some swing dancing. You know, it was it was the late nineties. You know, that's what you did back then and you know, it was a lot of fun. And I never really thought about it at the time, but my entire life I was built to be an entrepreneur, to build things. Mm-hmm. And um I, th- I think about, you know, what it takes to convince someone to, you know, bring in a band or to allow you to take over their entire establishment with, you know, a bunch of rockabilly kids. You know, it was a really nice restaurant and everything. Um, and actually, it was in Carlsbad. So those those things of being able to take risks, but you know, knowing that you can shape the outcome. I think that's what you're talking about with designing. Exactly. That's exactly it. You know, it's a, you see something in your mind and you start putting all the pieces together. And you you get to a point where you realize that you have all the resources that you need. And if you don't, you can kind of make it up as you go along and get to the next point and bring in the next thing. And before you know it, you have it. Mm-hmm. And so you do that so many times. And then you start to get to the point where you start realizing there's literally nothing that I can't do. So I'm going to go a little bit bigger. I'm going to go a little bit bigger. I'm going to go a little bit bigger. My first, I think, real, I guess, tiptoe or toe in the water with true entrepreneurship was um, I talked myself into an executive job at a startup. And I had absolutely no business being there. No business. I had no experience running a company. No, I, I, none at all. But I sold myself as being able to accomplish all of these things. And when I get in there, the two individuals who had started the business, they had no interest in running a business. The person they had hired, me, was expected to do all of these things. And so I did. And now that I look back, I'm like, there's something so special about the stupidity of youth. <laughs> That's um, good. I love this. There's something so special about it. And I, all the time, people, I, I see these questions come up, um, you know, whether it's on LinkedIn, mostly LinkedIn, maybe Facebook, where somebody asks, what would you tell your younger self? Right. And I always say, I would tell my younger self nothing because there is something that youth gives you that allows you to accomplish or to believe that you can do these big things. Now, when we get older, we don't have that same fortitude. You know, we don't have that same (laughs) stupidity. It it becomes uh, realistic, but not necessarily really. It's almost a fear. I'm afraid to try something where when you're younger, I'm just going to do it. Nothing to lose. What if I do? 
What's the worst but that can happen? if it's stone, you know, I've slept on a couch before. It's fine. Ramen's delicious. <laughs> no, it's not. When you get older, you can't eat ramen because, you you know, it bothers your heart. Right. It like, doesn't matter how much you like it. There's just certain things that you can't do. And so I think that when when I see those types of questions, it's more like I want to be like my younger self. Always have that unlimited curiosity that fearlessness to say, hey, you know, I think I'm going to start booking punk rock bands in L.A. I'm a girl from Arizona. I don't know anything about bands. I don't know anything about that industry. I don't know anything, but you know what? I'm going to learn. And at that point, you don't even really think about it. Just, you know, I just want to see these bands, and I want to get in for free. Right. <laughs> so and I want to go to the and cool after the party. <laughs> and that really is the goal. And so, you know, that, that fearless, that wildness – and um, that that freedom, I think that's really what continues to drive me. Um, I, I talk about all the time how um, I'll be 45 this year, and I still feel like I haven't grown up yet. Never lose that. I, I don't know what it is. And maybe it's not a good thing. Maybe I need to be a little bit more in touch with the earth. But... Um, Recently, and I, when you asked me to come on the show, I I looked back at my life and I I couldn't I couldn't really think about really anything that was life altering, anything that I could really pinpoint. And I started really thinking about it more and more, and I compared it, which is never a good thing. Don't compare your, your life to others. It's really, it, not a good thing. But I, I look at the things that I've done and things that probably should have taken me to my knees, and I never really even thought about it at the time. Um, I didn't think about the situation I was in, how dire it could possibly be. I just simply, you know, pulled up my, gr- you know, my big girl pants and went out and fixed it, and um, it was, it was interesting. And um, yesterday, in a very public forum, my son <laughs> decided to have a, um, a you know, a, a woe is me <laughs> pity party on social media. And um, he was talking about, you know, how there's not a lot of opportunities and how you have to have money to make money. And I, you know, I said, look, you know, son, when I started my first technology company, I didn't have any money. I didn't even really know what I was doing. I had a, a small bit of knowledge. And, you know, I was able to grow that into something really big. And he said, yeah, but you had that, that big lawyer job and that paid, for, you know, you, you had that before you were able to save up money. I said, well, not as much as you would think. In fact, when I started my first technology company, when I decided to do it, um, I, instead of, um, going out and working a job and kind of bootstrapping on the side, I went from, you know, a really great executive job to filing papers in a, in a filing room for, I, I think it was just over minimum wage. And um, it, the, the reason why is I didn't want to commit and lend my expertise to anything else other than what I wanted to do myself. And it took about six months to get my first client. And mm-hmm. after that, it just, it, it went from there. from there. One of the things that I found just extremely interesting is you're self-taught. 
Mm-hmm. And in, you're in an industry that most people consider to be as highly specialized. You need high degrees of education. Where, where did this confidence come from to self-teach yourself? I think it's in my blood. And you you should, if you ever uh, visit our office, you'll see my bookshelf. It's all manuals. <laughs> it's all the latest manuals in terms of different types of coding, you know, architecture and design architecture. And um, that's, I immerse myself in it. And I think for some people, that's really boring. Um, but I've always given myself um, tasks. I would look at when, when I started my business, I didn't want anyone to know that I had any deficits. And so I ate, I breathed it, I slept it. It was, it was all consuming in my life to never let anyone know that I wasn't the best of the best. And so I would, I would set, I would look at a company that had been out for a while and I would look at what they were doing or I would have an idea and I would sit down and I would learn it until it either looked exactly like that other, you know, the quality looked exactly the same, or I knew it so well that there was no holes in it. And so you take that and you compound that over 20 years. Mm -hmm. I've always had the same work ethic, you know, and it's not really a, a working thing for me because what I found was where I really liked it when I first started out, I thought it was, you know, it was challenging and it paid really well. And I was a single mom, so you know you gotta you gotta take care of yourself, and you yeah, gotta you I know understand. be home for that for that kid. And so you you take that over time, but it, it grew into this. I don't want to say obsession because I don't think it's an obsession, but it is a deep love for creating and building and designing the next twenty years of what people are going to use in their life and in their business. And that is amazingly powerful. Yes, it is. And one of the things we had a guest on a few weeks ago, and they talked about business and education, and they just mm-hmm. said, there's too many me-toos. Every, do you do this, and why? I can do that too. Okay, well, that's not what we're looking for. Where are we going to be in 10 years? Where are we going to be in 15 years? Those are the people who change the world, and that's what you're doing. I hope so. Well, we're moving there in that direction. Um, We're almost up against a break here, but I want one more question before we hit this break. I meet with a number of people who are self-taught and who have um, become self-made. And one of the things that they tell me they struggle with is this imposter syndrome, or I don't know if I deserve this. Did you ever face that, and how do you overcome it? Um, I think that that lives in everyone. I don't think that that's just self-taught. I think people um, always have um, this this idea that you have to compare yourself to someone else. And I think that it's probably become even more prevalent with social media is that everything is so manufactured. You only see the most perfect things. But from my perspective is that, um, like I said before, I never wanted anyone to know that there were any gaps. And so I worked extra hard to make sure that I had the same education that somebody going through school had. I got the same books. I spent the same amount of time with it. The only difference was that I was actually out doing it at the same time. Mm-hmm. So. Outstanding. Well, we're going to hit a break here, ladies and gentlemen. Don't go away. Ashley's going to come back. We're going to get more into this story and then what she's currently doing now and how she sees coming out of this 
scare we're having with this virus. Um, don't go away, ladies and gentlemen. We'll be right back. what makes the most successful people tick. Keep listening to the Voice America Empowerment Channel. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Book Frank Zakari as the motivational speaker at your next event. Frank is a dynamic, entertaining, and fascinating storyteller. Your organization will be entertained and will learn stories of success they can implement immediately. Email Frank today to secure him for your next event at lifealteringeventsradio at gmail.com or call 916-718-5517. Mention that you heard about it from the Life Altering Events radio program. You can also visit Frank's website for more information at frankzakari.com. Frank Zakari has written five books spanning a range of life-altering events and how to handle them. When the Wife Cheats is about a man with two young daughters handling the devastating loss of a cheating wife. Inside the Spaghetti Bowl is about how one family stays together through both good and bad. Five Years to Live follows a couple through life after a tragic accident, recovery, and prognosis. From the Ashes is a turnaround management success story about the University of Washington volleyball team. Find the books at Amazon in print, audio, and Kindle formats and at frankzakari.com. Multiple studies show us that the vast majority of people are disengaged at work. A Gallup report stated that two-thirds of American workers are unhappy and 15% actually hate their work. That means that 81% are not engaged to work for a common goal. Frank Zakari and his team have programs to help you change this dynamic and create a collaborative and high-performing organization. Visit frankzakari.com to set up an initial consultation today. Find out what makes the most successful people tick. Keep listening to the Voice America Empowerment Channel. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You are listening to Life Altering Events with Frank Zakari. To call into the program today with questions or comments, please call 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. Or you can send an email to lifealteringeventsradio at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. We're having a fantastic conversation here with Aster West. She is the CEO of a company called Scratch. And she will be, we'll get into more depth on what it is she's doing at Scratch. But the interesting thing that Esther's been telling us about is she's someone who is a visionary. She sees a situation and then determines in her mind how it can be better. And then she solves problems. And, and sometimes there are even problems that you didn't even know that you had. All right. Now, earlier she had mentioned she had talked her way into her first executive job. She just went in and interviewed and, and, and sold them that she could do this. And then she started putting things together and, and making connections and seeing that the way things were being done just wasn't efficient. So tell us about that again. Go back into that story a little bit. Okay. So the first executive job that I had, it was for a startup, and it was actually in the auto industry. And... Um, the, the founders of the company were trying to do something that had never been done before. 
and they were trying to unify uh, a bunch of individuals who are normally they're lone rangers they're just guys that get out there and you know hustle cars and everything and one of the biggest issues that they had and one of the ways that i found that we could unify them was with product they were always having a hard time getting product guys on the the east coast one of the stuff from the west coast you know and um, they had they had difficulty getting there so what i did was um, uh, one of the ways that i attracted them to this group these these individuals was to provide them with a, a list of inventory and uh, you know it started to, I mean, it was consuming. It was all consuming. It took a lot of time. You had to have a, a lot of communication with a lot of different individuals. And um, so this is early 2000s. I mean, this is right after, you know, pretty close to the dot-com bust. And, you know, people really weren't too keen on, you know, web <laughs> web technology <laughs> or, you know, having websites. And if you did have a website or if you did use any type of, you know, web technology, you, you were probably a larger company. There really wasn't any, you know, reason for, you know, you to have, you know, something that was more robust than just a basic web page. And most businesses really didn't even understand why they needed to have one. They didn't see any uh, purpose. They if, if they weren't doing e-commerce, they didn't care. Why do I need to have this? You know, it doesn't make any sense. I don't need it, you know. And so I looked into the different technologies that were available and I started to discover that I could create something that would allow these individuals to log into a web portal. They could have a secure area where they could communicate with each other and they could post their inventory. And so that's what we developed. You know, before that, you have to understand, I didn't have any technology background at all, none. But I was so fascinated by what you could do with the internet. And so I started looking at the business as something different. I started looking at technology as a way to not just bring people together and to provide them with something that, you know, not only saved time and effort, but could be used as a marketing tool that could be used to understand how people used the information that you gave them, started to understand their behaviors. And all of these things are what came together and what became the foundation of the first company that I ever started. And it was a tech company, and this is, you know, 2003. And so the startup that I worked for didn't work. The founders couldn't see eye to eye. They ended up going their separate ways. And so I was faced with a very, very big decision. I didn't know enough about technology at least I didn't think so. You know, I just actually built this web portal and it was pretty rad. I mean, I, I actually still have all of the, the requirements, documents and everything. I go back and look at them from time to time. And I'm like, wow, how did you do that back then not knowing anything? Mm -hmm. And um, so I thought about when, when that kind of went south, I thought about, well, start your own business. You don't know how to start a business. Where do, where do you even go? How do you, you know, what would you even do? And so I decided to look out and see what was out there and I found a web company and they, it looked pretty similar to kind of what I saw in my mind. And I worked for them for about a month. <laughs> it was about a month. <laughs> about a month. It lasted for about a month. Um, and I, I think that even if there's something that's close, if you have it in your mind, you have something that is just burning in your soul that you think that you can do, you should go out and do it, even if it doesn't work. 
And so I quit on a Friday. I started my company on a Monday. I filed papers. I used my tax return. I cashed in my 401k, whatever was left with that. And I never looked back. Like I said, it took me about six months to get my first client. And you know, I had some I, I had some brass on me back then because I was charging premium rates. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I got some pretty big deals and, you know, I just assumed that I was worth it and I was going to build this great thing. And I did. And it was, it was pretty amazing. And now it's like, I look back on it again and it's like, what did, who do you How think you, you are? <laughs> who, who did you think that you were back then? What was interesting back at that time, I was in the tech sector at that time, and there was an absolute lack of imagination. There was this best practice, and the best practice is you have a website, and it was basically a brochure, okay? It was just an online version of a brochure. What did you see where where this, this complete lack of imagination, and how did you see things that other people didn't see? Because it was there, it just wasn't being done. I know, you know, I think it, this is going to sound kind of funny, I'm really lazy. (laughs) And I was working so hard to get this stuff out to these people, I just knew there was a better way. I knew that there was some way that I could build something that would just take all that off my plate so I could focus on the business. Because I still had to run this business, I couldn't be building lists. You know, it's right. Exactly. You know, it's it's great to use that as you know uh, a way to bring people together. But there are so many more things to business than you know just that one thing. And so, um, the imagination part is that you could literally connect every area of your business through the web and reach your customers. And no one was doing that at the time. What I found really interesting in talking to you over the last few months and having come from the tech sector is you hear so many times, well, you don't have any experience in our industry. Well, you don't know what we do, okay? And I've heard you say this repeatedly over and over. Tools are not industry specific, Mm -mm. okay? It's the mindset, it's the process, okay? Elaborate on that a little bit. I think there's an underlying, um, there's underlying components to everything. And I think that is that type of mentality is what enabled me to build the solutions that I build and have built over time. And those were the force multipliers that allowed me to take on extremely large jobs, get them done, and to be able to deliver, not just what we said we deliver, but the extra features that make things, you know, software applications, you know, more usable, more sticky, you know, all those wonderful things. I have a name for it. It's called the Universal Common Component. That's a great name. <laughs> We're going to write that down. I, um, when I started out, I started looking at everything from a, probably from a very naive standpoint. And I was thinking to myself, you know what? These applications, they really only do a few things. Now, you can build features on that do all kinds of things. But the basics are always the same. And so the more I worked on that, the more I whittled it down, the more I looked for how, how can I do this the most efficient way that I possibly can? But not only that, how can I build components that I can use over and over and over and over? 
And it was obviously so that we could keep a small team, but that we could have consistency, but that we can increase our margins exponentially. So we could take on a really large custom job and then put all of our different component work, all of our different components on libraries and all that other good stuff together and then build these massive solutions that actually worked. And that's the magic is that they actually work. And sometimes when uh, I, I, I dealt in the insurance industry for a while and you go in and they were, they're floundering, just absolutely floundering. And they're trying to come up with life insurance process. And I walked into the room and they had on three walls yellow sticky notes three full walls full of yellow sticky notes and they said here's the process to get out one policy and they were trying to piece things together and they said well you know this you have to have all these things in place and and uh, and I looked at it and in, in the tech world at that time and I said it's going to cost you 20 million in 3 years of time Mm -hmm. Do you have that money? And they said no. And I said, well, then you better start thinking different. I've heard you say that when you get in a situation like that, the process, the, the mindset that you go through, that breeds the creativity. Mm -hmm. Is that right? Explain what you yeah, mean. Yeah, process breeds creativity. When you no longer have to think about what you're trying to do, you can think of ways to make it better. Everything is process. Even things that, you know, um, you know, painting a beautiful painting, even if you're incredibly talented, everything is always gonna come out better and more consistent if you have a foundation. Houses, paintings, loading matter. the dishwasher. Exactly. I think that's gonna be, I'm gonna have an interview process and the only thing that they have to do is go load my dishwasher. You can tell so much by the way somebody puts that together. I know it sounds crazy, but it's, it's totally true. It's a very interesting concept. I was at, uh, <laughs> at UCLA in a master's program, and it, it, it's similar to what you just said. And the professor said, he said, uh, this, is my, this is how I believe you should give a master's degree out. And he said, we're going to get all the, all the candidates in, and we're going to give them some money. And at UCLA, at the, at the Anderson School, you, he says, tell them to walk down to the end of the hallway where there's like eight or ten vending machines and say, pick one thing and only one thing and come back. And he says, now those who can go and do that and come back in three minutes, give them a master's degree. And we all looked at him like, what are you, what are you talking about? <laughs> and he says, the world is a process. If you can't decide what candy bar to get, how are you going to run an organization? How are you going to come up with solutions? Because you can't, you don't have the underlying mindset that it takes you 45 minutes to pick a piece of candy. It's, it was, it's this very similar story there. Yeah, I think it's critical thinking. And uh, even more important than process, you can get to process, but it w what it really takes is critical thinking. You know, why am I doing this? Can I solve it? How do I solve it? How can I continue? How can it continue? How long is it going to last? You know, all of these things go into the decisions that I make every day. And, you know, I, it's, it's something that's inherent to me. And I think that comes from, you know, always trying to um, find a way to do something. Mm -hmm. And you, you start to get to a point, especially how to do something when you don't have much of anything. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Is, you know, if you, can, if you can create something from basically nothing, and I would have to say that that's the one thing that gets me up every day. 
every day I create something from nothing and every single day I learn something and not just easy stuff. Easy stuff, hard stuff, life stuff, me stuff. Exactly. <laughs> you, you are known um, for rapid development of solutions that work and they work under stress. A lot of people mm -hmm. can make something work, but then when you put it under stress, it collapse. One of your staff members told me, he says, this is one of the asterisms that we live in at this company. She says, this uh -oh. asterisk says this, if it's too hard, you're doing it wrong. That's true. Explain that. Well, have you ever tried to put your gas cap on the wrong way? <laughs> have you ever tried to screw a bolt in sideways or, you know, not on none of the threads? Mm-hmm. Everything in life has the right way to do it. Every, everything. And I'm not saying that everything that is done the right way is going to be easy. That's just dumb. Right. You know, there's, there's challenges to everything. It's the way that you approach something, but you'll never make the wrong thing right. You'll spend way too much energy trying to create, you know, trying to justify a bad decision. Nothing's ever going to align. You know, it's not going to come together. It's not going to be easy. Um, in terms of um, it actually working, because it's not going to work. There is a flow, there is a um, a unity, there is an alignment in everything that we do. Mm -hmm. And so, when I, when I'm running up against problems, I have to constantly ask myself, "Are you running up against this problem because you've made a bad decision and you're trying to either justify it or you're trying to force it or you're trying to do something? And should you just stop?" It doesn't matter what you've done before. It doesn't matter how much time or effort or anything that you've sunk into this. You need to stop. You need to stop putting this into it because you need to have investments. And should you have made that other decision? So the really cool thing about making bad decisions is that you always know what the right decision was. And you can go back and make it. I love that statement right there. The uh, so I, I worked for a gentleman one time, and he, he would always say, "Hey, it's physics. It doesn't work. You're not <laughs> going to change it. Oh. You need to think different." Yeah, that's interesting. Well, ladies and gentlemen, we're coming up on another break here. This is this in, uh, conversation has been fantastic. Aster is has such insight as to where you can go when you don't let barriers get in your way. They're they're not barriers. They might be an obstacle, but they're things that can be overcome. Don't go away, ladies and gentlemen. We have one more segment, and this is going to be the best one yet. We'll see you in two minutes. Live up to your fullest potential. This is the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Book Frank Zakari as the motivational speaker at your next event. Frank is a dynamic, entertaining, and fascinating storyteller. Your organization will be entertained and will learn stories of success they can implement immediately. Email Frank today to secure him for your next event at lifealteringeventsradio at gmail.com or call 916-718-5517. Mention that you heard about it from the Life Altering Events radio program. You can also visit Frank's website for more information at frankzakari.com. Frank Zakari has written five books spanning a range of life-altering events and how to handle them. When the Wife Cheats is about a man with two young daughters handling the devastating loss of a cheating wife. 
Inside the Spaghetti Bowl is about how one family stays together through both good and bad. Five Years to Live follows a couple through life after a tragic accident, recovery, and prognosis. From the Ashes is a turnaround management success story about the University of Washington volleyball team. Find the books at Amazon in print, audio, and Kindle formats and at frankzakari.com. Multiple studies show us that the vast majority of people are disengaged at work. A Gallup report stated that two-thirds of American workers are unhappy and 15% actually hate their work. That means that 81% are not engaged to work for a common goal. Frank Zakari and his team have programs to help you change this dynamic and create a collaborative and high-performing organization. Visit frankzakari.com to set up an initial consultation today. Live up to your fullest potential. This is the Voice America Empowerment Channel. You are listening to Life-Altering Events with Frank Sakari. To call into the program today with questions or comments, please call 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. Or you can send an email to lifealteringeventsradio at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. This is our third segment with Astor West. The first two have gone way too fast. We are talking to a woman here who is a designer and in the truest sense of the word she looks at a situation she determines what could be better or how could it be better she collaborates with like-minded individuals and she makes things happen and that's the magic here is making things happen now we all know I think the majority of listeners out there around the world we all know somebody who's developing an app or a product and when we talk to them they're always, well, I'm 90% done. And I was a tech for a while. I was a product manager. And I used to hear that from the engineers that worked for me all the time. We're 90% done. All right? But that last 10% rarely gets done. You get it done. What's the difference? Well, I think, I think this kind of goes back to the beginning where when I was building websites or web apps, everyone had a cousin that was doing it. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> Everyone knew somebody. And, you know, why would you have some? Why would they have me build it when, you know, they can have, you know, a little, little rusty, you know. In junior high school. <laughs> in junior high or college, you know, put it together for them. And I think that the way that I work is fundamentally different than the way that most people work. And the way that I work is it kind of goes back to, you know, boiling things down to the most, you know, simple parts, that universal common component. And um, we never develop more than needs to be developed. We allow the market to tell us what it wants. And we've, we've developed our software in such a way that we can build those quickly without affecting, you know, its architecture or its stability. And with that, that, that extra 10% are all the things that, you know, um, go into a, a product board or make it on the backlog that never make it off. And, you know, I think that that's just death by committee. I think it's everyone's ideas that, you know, have to make it in there. But in reality, um, the market will tell you. And there, I think if you look at the software applications that you use or any type of technology that you use, maybe you use only a small fraction of it. Mm -hmm. So think about the millions of dollars that were spent on all those other features that were never used. 
And so, you know, that by having that mentality, it's it's a what is that word when you get rid of everything? Purge. <laughs> Purge. No, minimalist. minimalist. A minimalist. Yes. I've actually tried to do that lately. Tried to do that. But um it's it's definitely evident in my work and the way that we develop things and in developing developing them in a minimal way so that the people who use them can tell us how they want it to be built. And it can become their product, not ours. Exactly. Exactly. This is this is what's needed to solve the situation. One another one of your staffers told me, he says, You want to watch Esther Astra's head blow up? Say, we're just keeping pace with the industry. <laughs> <laughs> what do you say? Well, you know, honestly, um, I, and this is another thing that I've, you know, learned um, with this last life-altering event is that, and this is kind of from my younger days, is that um, I have a couple arrogant sayings. We all do. So, <laughs> Tell us. <laughs> so I have two arrogant sayings, one of which is my 50% is your 100%. And um, the other one is that, you know, I didn't come here to keep pace. I came here to set it. And, you know, that's true with what we do. And um, I think we've been we've been very fortunate in sometimes you can get out way too far ahead. And it, we all know that getting out too far ahead is never a good thing. You never want to get out <laughs> ahead exactly. of your men and get, you know, killed. But um, just by the way that we develop our, our technologies and the, the the idea that we have in in making them simple and scalable and making them for customers and having customers be able to um, grow quickly is what's helped us be extremely innovative as well as very um, budget conscious. And that's critical is I've seen so many software development uh, projects that are so far over budget and they have creeping scope and the thing continues mm -hmm. and it grows, gets a life of its own. And we worked on one many, many years ago with the DMV in California, that was $44 million, $44 million over budget because no one did what you just said right there. Do not get ahead of your skis. <laughs> if I told you how much we spent on this, and I'm not going to, um, I'd probably have a lot of tech people out there um, picking it apart and saying there's absolutely no way that you could have built what you built for what you did. But we did. It's staying focused. And doing the research on you, Aster, one of the things we discovered, very few people can do what you do, number one. That's number <laughs> one. And there are these underlying principles or foundations that drive this sustained success that you have. You, the, your, your staff tells me she has four principles. Collaborate on what these four principles are. <laughs> I don't know. What are they? What did they say about me? Let the end goal guide the effort. Oh, yes. I think I'm kind of a broken record on that one. Yep. I am a strategist through and through. You don't do anything unless you know what you're building it for, ever. Mm -hmm. I'll read the other ones, too. Good, because I don't have my glasses on. <laughs> Second thing they say is drive smart, purposeful growth. Right. I think a lot of people get ahead of themselves. Um, I think that there's a careful balance between being ahead of the curve or being on, on the edge of the curve and completely going over the lip and just being <laughs> crash and burn. Pommeled. And um, I think that you, there's, 
it's something that um, kind of becomes innate and something that you feel. It's, it's kind of like when you're driving really, really fast. And that was kind of one of my things when I was younger. I had a really, really bad problem with driving really, really fast. <laughs> but you start to feel it. You feel the inertia. You feel the turns. You, you know, you, you know when to shift gears. You know when to do what you need to do in order to keep yourself on the road. And so in business, it's the same thing. And being a leader, um, and this is also something, since I've always been part of a, an engineering group, moving out into a scalable company that we've decided to do, that becoming a leader um, really means about, um, it has absolutely nothing to do with yourself. You are not you anymore. You are everything around you. You are all of your people. You are all of their lives. You know, you don't make decisions for yourself. There's, there's no ego in leadership, I can tell you that much. And I think that's that humility thing people are talking about. Right, the servant leadership model. I don't necessarily, not, maybe not servant leader. I, I, there's, there's definitely needs to be a decisive person out front leading the charge. Exactly. I truly believe in that, but you make the decisions that have to be made for the, the betterment and the continuity of everything. Third thing they say you, you, you promote and, and preach all the time is do the right things the right way. I think we've talked about that quite a bit already. And then they said, do great work. Right. Those two things, if you practice them, you will always be successful. You will never... I think it really comes down to um, the right decision is an investment. It always pays off. The wrong decision, you're always going to pay for three times. Always. The cost to you know, get to where you need to go, the cost to tear it down, and the cost to build it back up. It's extremely expensive expensive to make the bad decision, even if that bad decision feels good for whatever reason, whether you're afraid to make the right decision, whether um, it seems to be the easy route, you know, the sometimes you have to take the low ground, but you always want to have the high ground if you can. Absolutely. I worked for the, with, we'll remain nameless here, but I worked for a major high tech company. And um, one of the things is my, my boss was the executive vice president had said one time, he said, in a private meeting, he didn't say this to the public, mm. he says, we'll always make the right decision as a company. We'll make all the wrong ones first, but eventually <laughs> we'll get to that right decision. And what I see in your organization is, let's just get to the right decision first. Let's not, re let's not replow the same earth over and over. Without getting into too much uh, detail with, with your company, Scratch, um, tell the people, as much as you're comfortable telling them at this point, sure. about the organization and what, and what you're doing. So Scratch is what I, what I like to say, we're creating a new category in payments. And um, the payments industry is um, going through some major changes right now. There's there's a lot of new companies coming in, new fintech companies like Scratch, a lot of reg tech companies. Scratch also provides you know regulatory automation, things like that for compliance. But um, there's a tremendous opportunity to prop up an industry that should have ended its life cycle a long time ago with their tech. And what we do is we protect price and profit. And the way that we do that is we are um, we are addressing the number one issue 
with digital commerce and that's lost revenue to fees, friction and fraud. And what we're doing is we're unifying the payments and the transaction process with all different types of data in order to be able to um, eliminate excessive fees or at least you know you can eliminate them all. Correct. But eliminate excessive fees. Um, get rid of uh, friction in the payments process, you know, false declines, you know, all different types of issues that are being created by a crumbling payment system, and um, get rid of fraud. And we're going to do this by connecting all of these different fragmented systems. And to me, it's very exciting because what that ends up doing is that rolls out to the consumer because they are the ones who ultimately pay for it. Exactly. That's exactly right. And there's so much anxiety right now with this uh, the scare with this virus, and it's going to be it's going to change the way we do business. And you seem to be out in front with that, and you talk about it all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, our company at Scratch is uh, we're we're a very lean company, but it's by design. And moving out forward, um, our um, our development practices are to create things that not just that we can use internally for our company, but also push out for a distributed workforce, which <laughs> is, is going to become more and more. <laughs> is going to become more and more. So, like we saw, you know, with the housing crisis and a lot of people losing their jobs, what that sprouted was an amazing industry in the gig economy. Mm-hmm. You know, you had, you know, the ability for people to have a job if they had a car. You know. You have the ability to rent out your house. There's so many different ways that individuals and consumers or individuals can now, you know, support themselves without having to have a regular corporate job. Absolutely. Well, ladies and gentlemen, we're just about out of time here. This has been an amazing conversation with Astor West. Uh, Thank you for coming and spending the last hour with us. Ladies and gentlemen, I think what you heard here today is that there are people who make things happen. And there are people that watch things happen. And there are people that wonder what the hell just happened. You heard Astor West. She's one of those people who make things happen. Now, we're just about out of time once again. And ladies and gentlemen, I want to thank Astor for coming and sharing this story. And th- when, when life throws something at you, there's three things that we want you to do. And I think Astor touched on them very, very well today. So I want you to look up, get up, and never, ever give up. Pick up the pieces and start moving forward, and better times and better people will enter your life. If you want more information about Aster or Scratch, you can contact me at Life Altering Events website. Press email the host. I'll make sure it gets to her. If you missed this show or any of our other shows, you can listen to them on demand, now including iHeartRadio, Alexa, and Google, which have recently picked up the show, plus my website, franksakari.com. Now, let me leave you with this, ladies and gentlemen. None of us are in this alone. The secret to walking on water is to know where the rocks are. And today, Aster showed us where a lot of those rocks are. Join me again next week as we discuss another life-altering event. Thank you for tuning in to Life-Altering Events. Be sure to join Frank Zakari again next Tuesday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time and 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Have a life-changing week. The Good Kind.